Hey, this morning, uh, we are joined by one of my good friends and a friend of this house, Pastor Jude Fuquay, all the way from Ventura, California. Pastor Jude's roots, in many ways, are from the Northwest, where he ministered and plowed in this region faithfully for many decades. Listen, I'm here to tell you today that we are standing on the shoulders of heroes of the faith who have come before us. The first time that I heard Pastor Jude speak and he ministered here at this church, I felt faith come alive in my spirit. I thought to myself, man, this is a guy who we are cut from the same cloth. And we so value and honor his voice into this movement for such a time as this. It just so happened that he had some availability this weekend. And we are so honored to have him today. Come on, would you help give a warm pursuit welcome to our friend, Pastor Jude Fuquay. I want you to keep standing. Keep standing. Will you stand back up? Thank you. It seems like yesterday, but it was 1992, July the 4th. Becky and I and our sons drove a U-Haul truck into the Pacific Northwest. And that is 32 years ago. And I stand before you. Great churches come out of the spirit and the soul of great pastors. And I want to say, Russell, you're one of the greatest pastors of this generation. And Christianity is not a hundred yard dash. It is not a marathon. It is a relay race. And I am here to pass on to you the baton of the living Christ that will be meshed into the souls of hundreds of thousands to millions of individuals who live in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. And as people are leaving the West Coast for other states, other states will move here for a church that is alive and that is pregnant with the very miracles of a living God. Give it up for your pastors. In Jesus' name, we love you. We love you. We love you. Come on. Good Lord. Russell, you're so young. Becky and I will be married 37 years in November. We almost could be Russell's mom and dad. Is that not cool? I love you. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor and say, you look really good in the dark. Terry, good to see you. I love you. You're a great man. You're a great man. I totally spaced until just this moment. Remember, Becky? We were in Pendleton, Oregon. Our middle son, who's 32, was one. And... He had thrush, he was crying, and the U-Haul broke down. 
and I'm not a mechanic. My family was, had a successful business, and I didn't know what, my wife goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do the only thing I know how to do. I'm going to go lay hands on that U-Haul. And I said, Lord, I heard you heal sick bodies. Can you heal a U-Haul? Russell, I have not said this, but I thought of it this moment, and I won't go long with this. When we started driving 2,265 miles to the northwest to pioneer one of the greatest churches in this region, the first night I tried to back up, and I couldn't do it. And a trucker came and got it out. It just jackknifed because we were pulling a car. And for 2,000 miles, over 2,265 I never parked where I had to back up. We only went straight. And that was a prophetic sign. Pursuit, you will never, ever, 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 ever go back. We're going forward to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen? Last summer and even into the fall, I had a reoccurring vision that would pass through my mind. And visions and dreams are the language of the Holy Spirit. Joel said that one of the post-captivity prophets, that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on all people, white collar, blue collar, Walmart, Boeing, Amazon, Google, does not matter. And that the elderly, the old, uh, would dream dreams and that the young would see visions. They're visions which I have had in the past where my eyes were open. But what had happened in the summer and through the fall was a vision as I would go to bed, lay in my bed, or wake up in bed, it would pass through my mind. And I thought, what is the biblical precedence for such an experience? And it came to me in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, as you lay in bed, the vision that passed through your mind. And then Daniel later said, as I laid in bed, the vision that passed through my mind, and it was a messianic vision. And the vision that I had, I saw an ancient medieval castle, a rugged medieval castle. And I knew by the Holy Spirit intuitively that that castle represented the kingdom of God. You see, the church has not always been. She was created on the day of Pentecost, and she will continue. But the kingdom of God, the authority of God, the rule of God has been forever. It's everlasting to everlasting. And the gospel must be preached, but not only the gospel. Many churches are trying to tell a story of Jesus with no authority and no presence and no power. And no one is being transformed. We are not coming into the city in our own authority. We're coming in the authority of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, when the gospel of the kingdom, the authority is preached in all the world, then the end will come. I believe you, Pastor Russell, in this community will have a part in the second coming of Jesus Christ where we come into this region with the authority of the only name by which people can be saved. Then I saw three flags, and the flags were moving in the wind. It wasn't like a hurricane wind where they would have been battered and abused, but it was a gentle breeze. If there was no wind, the flags would have been limp, but they were flowing, and you could read three different words. And the Spirit of God impressed, he said, Jude, he said, do not ask me to move, I'm already moving. And I want you to walk with me in your mind for 30 seconds. Pursuit before COVID 
was experiencing growth, but in COVID, all of a sudden, the gentle breeze of the moving of the Holy Spirit began to move on a handful of people in Snohomish. And now all of a sudden, the world in Seattle and Olympia are afraid of the authority and the spirit and the presence of God in this church. I want you to write this down. In the three words that I saw on the three flags were salvation. I want you to write that down. We are here to see Seattle saved. Wait, 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 wait. I know why you reacted the way you did. Because you're thinking of a church in the inner city that has overgrown grass. You have a neon sign that is broke, and it says, Jesus saves. And they think, from what? Jesus can save an individual. He could save a family, and he's ready to save a city. The next word that I saw was discipleship. Everyone say salvation. salvation. Say discipleship. And we'll speak on that today. And the last word was sacraments. So say these three words. Say salvation, salvation. discipleship, salvation. and sacrament. And the Spirit of God impressed on my mind, on my heart. He said, in these times, I am going to pour out my Spirit in an unprecedented way, never experienced by the church in her history for 2,000 years. In a main way, I'm going to do it is through the sacrament. He said, Jude, my sacraments mesh my divinity with broken humanity to heal them. He said, my sacraments aren't just a memorial or a memory of the past. They have the power in the presence of my being to compel and propel my church into the future from this moment. He said, when baptism take place, people will go down one way. They will come up a completely different way. They will go down a drug addict, come up a free man or woman. They will go down bound. They will come up liberated. Can you say amen? I saw in the Lord's table people being healed of molecular diseases where bodies were being healed, cancers were being stricken, uh, multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, incurable diseases happening during the Lord's table. Can you say amen? And then we believe today we are called to make disciples. Can you say yes, Lord? If you have your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 3. And we're going to begin to read from this gospel, verse 13 to 15. Mark chapter 3, verses 15 13 to 15, and he went, Jesus, on the mountain and called to those he himself wanted. Because you're here, that means Jesus wanted you. They came to him. You can't come to Jesus unless he wanted you. But because you've come, that means he desires you. And they came to him and he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. Pursuit is a presence-driven movement. We're first called to be with Jesus before we minister with Jesus. So it says they, that they might be with him and that they might send them out to preach and have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Can you say amen? amen. And on the front of your church, you're the only church out of thousands I've ever seen in a 40-year period that says heal the sick, cast out demons, and open blind eyes. Who are you people? Come on. Everyone say discipleship. discipleship. 
say it again. I know that really that word kind of sometimes is a little bit, we think of an electric invite to a Bible study or a Sunday school class or a book club at Starbucks during the winter. And now disciple in the New Testament, simply write this down, means follow me. You say, what is discipleship? Or a disciple, it means to follow me, which means when you follow someone that close, you become like them. So the goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus. You see, we believe. Some people say today, I believe in God. I believe in God. I say, yeah, the devil believes in God. I believe God. I believe God said, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. I believe God said, I'm born again, I'm born again. I believe God said, I'm a new creation, I am a new creation. Can you say amen? amen. And so disciple simply means follower or to follow Jesus. Now, today, really, if you are excelling in culture, you are an influencer, maybe a celebrity, you're wealthy, you're powerful, you're smart, you're a politician. Back in Jewish culture 2,000 years ago when Jesus was living on the earth, to become a follower of a rabbi and attend a synagogue was a prized possession. And I believe today many of us sometimes are being malformed by an unrealistic way to live because of who we follow. When we say follow, it doesn't mean follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, because as quickly as you follow them, you can unfollow them. Oh, they're woke. Unfollow. Oh, they're dumb. Unfollow. No, no, no. It means that you follow so closely that you become like the one you follow. So 2,000 years ago, if you were a young Jewish boy at the age of five, you would go to the synagogue and you would begin to memorize the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you excelled, they would come to you and the rabbis, like if you tried out for all-stars and you made it, you know what they say, one word. My Jake tried out for all-stars and when he got the call, just one word will make the young man smile. Congratulations. Now, if they say, hey, buddy, good job, good effort, you get a juice box, see you next summer, means you didn't make it. Now, if you heard the words, follow me, that means you made it, you were going to the next level. If you didn't make it, they would say, go home and work for your family's business. So when Jesus said to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were in their father's boat, mending their net, he said, follow me. At one point, James and John didn't make the all-star team. And Jesus said, follow me. That was the highest invite you could get. Because when you followed a rabbi, you became like the rabbi. We're not coming to church just to attend. This isn't just a fan at the Mariners game. This isn't just the all-star game that is happening. No, we are all players in this, and we are becoming like Jesus. Can you say amen? Now, I want to give you this one other step, and we're going to move on. The next stage would be learning through questions. It's called catechism. That's where Catholics get the term. That's where the Jewish people, they would train their young people through questions. Now, the first person in the Bible to ask a question is Satan. I want you to hear me. If you are a parent, a grandparent, the young people of this church in this region say, well, I don't really like Sunday school and catechism. Well, let me tell you who loves it, Satan. 
and he's beginning to educate our children. And what is the highest form of education? Learning through questions. So who is the first to ask a question? The devil. Did God say? Does he really mean it? And why? Because the devil's questions that confuse our identity bring darkness to the revelation of Christ. However, the second person to ask a question is God. Adam, where are you? It doesn't mean that God didn't have the information. It meant that God's question has the power to awaken you to who you really are. Look, they're questioning everything in this generation. They're saying, no, you're not a boy. No, you're not a girl. No, you're not this. No, you're not. No, no, no. I am a child of God because God says I am. You say, well, I've been through it. Job went through it. God, where are you? Why is this happening? When you suffer the most, God speaks the most. And God says, who are you to darken my revelation by your useless question? Prepare yourself like a man. I want to stop right now. There is going to be a men's movement from Pursuit Church that is going to awaken the family in the Northwest. God says, where were you when I flung the stars in the sky? Where were you? Can you count the snowflake? Where were you when I created the hippopotamus? Job said, no, 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 no. And Job says, I have heard with my ears the pursuit in this next year. We're going to see with our eyes. Can you say amen? amen? No, you can tell you're a follower of Jesus by four words. Four words, and you're going to write them down. I'm only going to be able to concentrate on one or two. Four words if you're following Jesus or becoming like Jesus. Number one, worship. You could write that down. Worship isn't music. This isn't karaoke on Sunday. God doesn't seek worship. He seeks worshipers. John 4 says, God is spirit, he is truth. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Work, please get this. Spirit, I want you to get this. You know why I know Seattle's going to be awakened? Because spirituality and worship are in the bones of every humanity. It's not if they're going to worship. They're already worshiping. But we worship Yahweh. You worship Yahweh. Okay, you know I was a youth pastor in the Northwest to say something so stupid. Yahweh, Yahweh, come on. How many series I did on Yahweh, Yahweh, come on. Can I say it is in the bones. Worship is in the bones of every human being. And Bob Dylan is right. You're going to worship somebody. You're going to worship the Lord or you're going to worship the devil. I'm worshiping the Lord. I am a worshiper. Now, what is worship? Write this down. Worship is the people of God adoring God. You say, well, the music's too loud. I know I have the earplugs in too. Come on. How many of you want young people in this church? How many of you want only people my age in this church? No. Because if there's no young people, there's no church in 10 years. It's not the volume. It's not the pace. It's not the style. It's the heart. God seeks worshipers. Amen. The next one is stewardship. So worship, stewardship. Say stewardship. stewardship. Say worship. worship. 
So stewardship, please get, write this down. Stewardship is the people of God, per, please get it, participating in the work of God. Did you get that? Stewardship is the people of God participating in the work of God. The next one, fellowship. Everyone say fellowship. Oh, dear God, when I got born again over 40-something years ago, my friends changed. And you say, how? I had a new koinonia. And it's not just hanging out. I do Harley, you do Harley, we ride Harley. No, no, no. It's more than I, I have a book, you have a book, we have a book club. No, no, no. We come to this church with a contribution. And it binds us together in a sovereign way. We'll talk about that in a moment. Everyone say fellowship. fellowship. Say worship. worship. Stewardship. Stewardship. Fellowship. fellowship. Fellowship is the people of God living as the family of God. Wow. There's someone here. I know what it is. I lost both my mom and dad. When you lose both your parents, there's a sense in your heart no one will ever unconditionally love me. Ah, wrong answer. Fellowship, the people of God living as the family of God. I have family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. Thank you, Sister Sledge. Everyone say worship. Say stewardship. Say fellowship. Say discipleship. Discipleship are the people of God following God. But how can we follow God if we're not close to God? The people of God following God. The people of God practicing the ways of God. Okay, real quick, worship. Uh, 43 years ago, I went to a Catholic church. I was a pathetic Catholic, not really good. And then my aunt would invite me to church. You're not going to listen to me much after this. It was a Pentecostal church. I mean, people were lifting their hands. They had one dude running around the church. Someone fell out. And this wasn't a cute uh, Pentecostal church where when you fell out, they put a little blankie with you and gave you a juice box. I mean, they were just, it was a battlefield. But can I tell you, something awakened in me. And it was a reality of Jesus Christ where I entered into a relationship with him. And I wanted to express myself. I had never, I would never lift my hands in a public. I would. Men say it all. It's not my personality. Well, I saw you take your shirt off at the Mariners game. What happened? I saw you paint your face for the Seahawks. What? But yet you, you're like this doing the music? No, it's not music. It's worship, and I'm compelled to lift my hands. So it started off, I'd do this. I looked like someone carrying the plasma into the apartment. The next thing, I didn't care what you thought. I was adoring God because God is worthy of adoration. If you go and you see a car that's worth $1,000, your jaw is not going to drop. But if you see a car that's worth, I don't know, 100000 a half a million, you're going to go, man, I drove a Bentley with suicide doors with Benny Perez going 80 miles an hour down the freeway. He goes, Pastor Jude, do you know how much is, this is worth? My mouth dropped and I worship Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Everyone say worship. worship. Say stewardship. Now, this is where I'm going to camp out on this word, and then I'm going to go to one other, and then we'll end. Stewardship is the people of God participating in the work of God. Now, pursuit, in the next 18 months, you're going to be expanded to the north, the south, and the east, and the west. And I feel a command of God to say to you, like Abraham, you both, Lift up your eyes, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west, and as far as your eye,
He didn't say my eye. He didn't say his eye. Your eye can see. I'll give it to you. How far, does someone need a contact in here? Oh, no. You know what some people are doing with seeing after COVID, during COVID, coming after COVID, pastor? You know when you get older? Do you need some readers? Do you need a new contact? Do you need LASIK surgery? The Spirit of God right now is taking the cataracts of hell off the church's eyes that we could see further the way God sees. Count the stars. Count the building. Count the souls. Count the baptisms. Come on. And so Wendell, my pastor, always said, if 100% of the members, not the attenders, but the members, not the spectators, but the players, if 100% of the players, the members, would tie, there'd be a supernatural sovereign blessing on the money of the church. City Church never struggled for money because those who joined the church as members, we all tie. We were paying right when we started the church. We didn't even have 100 people. And we were going to be paying $9,000 a month for 11,000 square feet. And they were believing for nine people to give a thousand for that first month's rent. They thought the Ostroms would, someone else. They never thought Jude and Becky would because we were broke. All we had for, to our name, the 401, the rabbi trust, the saving, the checking, and anything else was a thousand dollars. And that's if we did the math right. And one morning in prayer, God says, give the church a thousand dollars. I said, Lord, that's all I have. He goes, I know, and I'm not asking you for $1,005, just 1000 God's smart, but I'm smart. I said, God, it's not my money. It's Becky's. You're going to have to speak to her. You said we have to be in agreement. God's not mute. He could talk to anyone. Two days later, she comes. She said, God spoke to me. We're to give the church money. And she said, $1,000. Can I say we gave that $1,000, so did eight other people, and Russell, the rest is history. Something supernatural began to happen. There's a buzz on the streets saying, ah, City Church, it's growing. Something's happening, and they begin to come from all over this region. Can I say right now, when we went into Kirkland, all we had was $1 million and about 800 people. But God gave us a ship. We thought it was a ski boat. We go, ha, ha, how cute. What is that going to help us? No, we sold the boat for a million dollars. And faith came into the hearts and the spirit of the people. And the roof was taken off the place really in one sense. And we bought Kirkland and the rest would be history. Everyone say stewardship. So say this one, say fellowship. And I, this is where I end. Keys come up. I want to tell you this. Uncommon generosity will give you the keys of this city. And I'm not talking about Snohomish. I'm talking about the Pacific Northwest. I want the governor to start listening to Pastor Russell. Ooh. He's been binging on Netflix. Let him binge on Pastor Russell. Wouldn't that be funny? You know, check this out. Follow me. Everyone say worship, worship. Fellowship. fellowship, say stewardship. stewardship. I want to deal with, I won't even get to discipleship. No, tonight I'm speaking a completely different message. Double dip. 
Yesterday, we went to a Mexican restaurant. I think it was called Cactus. I had chips. I had salsa. Mm, had some guacamole. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, it was a Trinitarian experience. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We had salsa, guac, and con queso. Oh, that's Holy Ghost right there. Amen. Come and double dip tonight. You will be blessed and changed forever. Amen. Now, get this. Uncommon generosity. Very few people speak on the next one. It's called koinonia. I love 2 Corinthians 13, 14. One of my favorite verses ever. The grace of the Son, the love of the Father, and the fellowship or the koinonia or the communion of the Holy Spirit. The next one, really, you say, why fellowship? Where does koinonia come from? It comes from the Trinity. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they dwell in unity. It says in Psalms 133, I want to read this, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren. We're not going to be one with those who don't know Christ. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity is like precious oil. Precious, Pastor Russell, means valuable. It's more expensive than all the money in the world. And it says, get this, there, look at the end, there God commands, not a blessing. There's a blessing on this church. I feel God saying, I'm shifting. They've known a blessing, but now I'm going to give them the blessing. We had an uncommon unity. It's easy to have unity when you agree with the leader. I hear people would say this of City Church and other churches. They say, well, I like this church, but, you know, I don't know about Wendell. I don't know about Russell. Uh, 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 devil. You can't love a church if you don't love its leader. If someone say, Pastor Jude, I love you. Now, Pastor Becky, you say, you say that again, I'm going to pop you. It's easy to be unified when they're agreeing with you. Years ago, we had bought our second building, the Plateau, and Wendell was diagnosed with a deadly, horrific, diabolical malignancy. And it would take his life five years later, five and a half years later. Mark Driscoll, about a year and a half before Wendell passed away, came to the church. We're in the green room. And he asked Jenny Smith, Wendell's wife, Judah was there, we're all there, how can it be that your husband, facing what he's facing for all these years, that there wasn't a split in your church, that someone, one of your associates, didn't go and start another one? I still remember her answer. Pastor Jude, he would have never allowed it. I remember, I built our youth ministry with the help of God and my wife and many leaders, from five young people to over 800, and we grow to a UW service, a Plateau service, a Central District service, not even including Sunday school. It got up to 1,500. The church wasn't even running 3,000. And I remember I would give that away. I would yield it. I wanted to yield it to Judah. And I'll never forget, after I did it 
I kind of had giving remorse. You know, worship is anything but music. Worship, its deepest ingredient is sacrifice. How can there be worship without a sacrifice of time, energy, finances, giftings, and money? Be more than all that. Ministry has a compelling power, asked the archangel Lucifer. I said, God, I gave it. They had three businessmen. I rarely share this after I moved on from youth ministry. Offered to buy a building in Bellevue in I, on I-90. I went behind the Kirkland campus, fell to my knees. I said, God, I've given this to you. How about sowing and reaping? He said, Jude. He said, Joseph raised me, and I wasn't his, but he raised me as his own. He gave me the story of two women, one baby. He said, let that baby live and watch what I'll do for the Northwest. The Northwest will not be saved by grabbing ministry and supporting when it's advantageous for you. The Northwest will be one with an uncommon unity. Why? Because we worship a God that's three in one. You will never hear the Father say, well, why is it me planning it? Well, Jesus, Father, why is it me giving my blood? Why does the Holy Spirit sit back and have the easy job? You'll never hear the Holy Spirit say, well, why am I never mentioned? They honored everybody but me. Is there anyone out there? Was Wendell perfect? I remember one time he offended me. Well, more than once. <laughs> and it hurt my feelings. It hurt my soul. I'd given so much. I remember the last sermon I preached as a youth pastor, Terry. It was at our GC camp in Yelm, Washington. I didn't know that was going to be the last time I preached as their youth pastor. Someone prophesied when we got home, I was no longer the youth pastor. Now remember, I went, I started crying. I was grieving. Let me say, if you have never grieved over your ministry, when the season ends, you never had a ministry. I birthed that ministry like the virgin with the Holy Spirit, conceived through the power of the Spirit. Come on. Who's ever seen a man with his hands on his knees laboring like a pregnant woman? Paul said, I labor to Christ's form in many. I said, Lord, I didn't even know. He said, if you did know it was your last, would you have preached a different message? No. Would you have preached any different, more passion, less passion? No. He said, Jude, you just learned an eternal lesson. Nothing in your life is yours. You are a steward. You are a manager of your children. My son's married. They left my house. 
And one day, this body will leave, breathe its last breath. And I will say, it was yours. It was yours. You want Seattle? It comes with a price. Not the blood, but your worship, your stewardship, your time, your energy, your money, your fellowship. Some of you, why do you have koinonia with deeds and people of darkness? How can you drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of a demon? You say, what do you mean? How can you come and praise and tell leaders, I'm with you, but then go around and try to start something that will circumvent that? Not many people came and talked bad about Wendell in my ears. I wouldn't let them. I'd say my ears are not trash cans. Okay, we need to end. Stand up. My wife's tapping. The whole front row sat. It's a, no, it's good, honey. Oh, good God. Jeez. The next service is starting. Okay, you need to run out here. Remember, double dip. You'll get queso, salsa, and guac. Amen? Put your hands like this. Did you, feel, did you hear what I just said? We're taking. Father, we come, and I am pronouncing and releasing a spirit of unity. God, uncommon unity. Lord, our nation is being divided and we're falling. A house, a nation, a family divided fall. But a house, a nation, and a church united not only will stand, but will be conquering and will never be moved and never defeated. We are one as our God is one. Now, I'm going to count to three. If you have never trusted Jesus with everything in your life, you're going to raise your hand. One, you're trusting God with all your heart. Two, you're going to give him your whole soul. Three, right now, raise your hand. Look all over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pastor Russell, come on up. God bless you.